Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Republican leaders sue the governor. Minnesota ranks toward the top of child well-being and Minnesota Viking Adam Thielen. But first, it's been a tense week and a half at Ramsey County Court in St. Paul. Officer Euronimo Yanez on trial, charged with second-degree manslaughter in the shooting death of Philando Castile during a traffic stop last July and facing two counts of reckless discharge of a firearm. The live Facebook stream of the incident posted by Castile's girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, brought national attention to the case. In opening statements, the prosecution played dramatic dash cam video of Yanez shooting Castile. Pastor Danny Gibbons with Black Lives Matter Minneapolis was in the courtroom. Seeing the dash cam video uh, was horrific. It was horrific. The most, the, the most horrific 74 seconds I've ever watched in my life. Castile's girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, took the stand and on cross-examination, the defense focused on Castile's and Reynolds' daily marijuana use. The defense also pointed out inconsistencies in Reynolds' statements to police in the immediate aftermath of the shooting and in subsequent interviews. Yanez's partner, Officer Joseph Kauser, was the next witness to take the stand. He told prosecutors the initial pullover of Castile was conducted as, quote, an ordinary traffic stop. One key question that came up again and again without any definitive answer on the second day of testimony was Castile reaching for his wallet, his seatbelt, or his weapon in the moments before he was shot and killed. On Wednesday, police procedure expert Jeff Noble testified that Yanez's use of deadly force was, quote, unreasonable and excessive. The defense spent more than an hour calling Noble's credibility into question. On Thursday, St. Anthony Police Chief John Mangseth took the stand and answered questions from the defense about officer training on reaction time, de-escalation, and level of force, which he explained by saying, if someone pulls a gun on you, you don't pull a knife. Mangseth said in a deadly force situation, sometimes an officer cannot wait. The state asked Mangseth if police using firearms as a last resort was a St. Anthony police policy, and Mangseth replied yes. When Officer Yanez took the stand, he testified that Castile told him he had a firearm, began reaching down, and Yanez says he told him not to reach for it. Yanez testified that he reached in the car and saw that Castile's hand was in a C-shape, and Castile continued to pull forward out of his pocket to the point where Yanez said he could see a gun. He says that's when he shot Castile. Yanez testified that Castile had total disregard for his commands. Yanez then said on the stand that he was scared to death and thought he was going to die. He said he thought about his family and that he had no other choice. Yanez then began to break down on the stand, saying he didn't want to shoot Castile at all, and those were not his intentions. In closing arguments, the prosecution said Philando Castile did what he was supposed to do when Yanez pulled him over for a brake light violation. They say Castile was non-threatening and offered no resistance to Yanez's commands. But the defense painted a much different picture of the events that day, saying Castile was high on marijuana and ignored Yanez's commands to the point of pulling out his gun. The state disputed that Castile pulled the gun out and says he was reaching for his wallet. The defense contended the state failed miserably in proving Inez's guilt. The state closed its case by saying, quote, We all know this is a sad case, but it's not a hard case to assign liability. That's precisely the task that fell to the jury. They began deliberations on a Monday afternoon. On Tuesday, they had a request of the judge to rewatch a dash cam video of the shooting and the Facebook Live video stream posted by Reynolds in the aftermath of the shooting. The judge approved. 
Former U.S. Attorney Thomas Heffelfinger had been following the case closely and at that time said, It shows a deliberate jury, and I mean that in the sense that they are carefully deliberating on the evidence and the law. It also tells me that we're not going to get a quick snap judgment out of this group of 12 people. On day three of deliberations, the jury appeared deadlocked, prompting the judge to reread instructions to the jurors, encouraging them to try to the best of their ability to reach an agreement while holding on to their honest opinions. Heffelfinger noted that before the judge may officially declare a deadlocked jury, he needed to hear more from the jurors and... That requires him under the rules of criminal procedure. He has to make a specific finding that under the fact there is, quote, no reasonable probability of agreement close quote, by this jury. At the end of the third day of deliberations, Philando Castile's uncle Clarence Castile said it was a good idea for the judge to reread instructions to the jurors. So that they can take their time and come up with a good decision. And that's what's important to me and my family and everybody else who's concerned that they take their time and come up with the right decision. Asked if he was worried about the jury being deadlocked, Castile responded, No, I'm not worried whatsoever. Because I got faith. I got faith. On Friday, the jury of seven men and five women found Officer Yanez not guilty on all counts, prompting a massive protest at the state capitol and throughout St. Paul. We'll have all the latest on this continuing story in the days and weeks ahead. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? Because I love you! <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Alright. Now pass me the new filter. Why? Ha <laughs> <laughs> very funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I don't think we're any closer to any solution. The House and Senate uh, will move forward with a lawsuit. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka this week as Republicans sued Governor Dayton for cutting off the legislature's operating funds effective July 1st. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, the legislative session plus special session finally ended. Budget bills were signed, and now Republicans and the governor are headed to court. How did things get to this point? Scott, I think the fundamental problem is that neither side trusts the other. Republicans in Dayton, right at the end of the regular session, reached a compromise on a tax bill that neither side really liked. Tax cuts too large for the governor, tax cuts too small for Republicans. And I think it's fair to say that GOP leaders started what is now a court battle by putting in the bill what they called an insurance policy to make sure Dayton signed it. If he didn't, operating funds for the Minnesota Department of Revenue, which collects taxes for the state, would end on July 1st. This move infuriated the governor who signed the tax cut bill, but then line item vetoed operating funds for the legislature, effective July 1st. It's unfortunate 
that your last minute legislative treachery has left me no other option. Republican House Speaker Kurt Dowd responded. Frankly, uh, in hindsight, it was the right decision to put that provision in the bill. Because of the governor's actions, I can only conclude uh, that the governor was likely not to sign the tax bill. The vetoes of funding for the legislature are law because the governor signed the bill. And the only way to restore funding for the Minnesota House and Senate is a special session, which Dayton says he will call only if Republicans agree to reverse five measures in the budget bills that he signed just a couple weeks ago. One, unfreeze the tobacco tax, which had an annual inflator. Two, cancel some business property tax cuts. Three, undo a provision that lowers state taxes on some wealthy estates. Four, repeal newly enacted changes to teacher licensing laws. And five, allow illegal immigrants to obtain driver's licenses in Minnesota. On the tax issue, Senate Republican Leader Paul Gazelka says they are not going to give up on what is relatively small tax relief. Keep in mind that the $650 million tax bill, only a little over $400 million was actually revenue reductions. The other, other parts of it were more spending, local government aid, county program aid. That four-year number of revenue savings is about a billion dollars compared to spending increases will be $6 billion more over four years. So we're not talking about reducing the actually the, the small amount of tax revenue reduced already. We're not going to take away from that. We're looking for a way out of this as well, uh, but not lowering the already small revenue reduction. Governor Dayton warns the tax cuts Republicans pushed through will take billions of dollars out of the state's coffers in coming years. And if there is an economic downturn, throw the budget again into deficit. He contends to avoid that, he wants Republicans back at the negotiating table and says forcing that by line-item vetoing the legislature's funding is within his constitutional authority. Putting in policy measures into these budget bills is, is putting a gun to the head of the executive branch. If you don't agree to our budget, then we're going to force a shutdown, which is what happened in 2011. Uh, Anybody in my position who, who's gone through that and, and all the turmoil it causes and all the disruption in the lives of, of state employees but also the citizens throughout Minnesota uh, would know that, as I do, that's virtually un unthinkable to, uh, to repeat. Republicans say, and this is the heart of their lawsuit, that Dayton vetoing funding for the legislature violates the separation of powers clause in the Minnesota Constitution, which states that no one in the legislative, executive, or judicial branches, unless otherwise specified, shall exercise any of the powers properly belonging to the other branches. House Speaker Kurt Dowd contends Dayton's vetoes will basically shut down the legislature, and he says Republicans have a strong legal position. Back in 2011, uh, the courts deemed the legislature to be essential. Um, if you look at the governor's veto letter of the state, uh, uh, the state government uh, finance bill, uh, which is where the, the legislative funding was that he line-item vetoed. Um, that letter, he did not specifically say he had any problem with the legislative funding, um, that he was using the legislative funding to as leverage for other things. And we think that's a violation of separation of powers. And, and frankly, um, you know, we hope that the court uh, understands that while it might be the legislative branch's funding that's uh, in jeopardy this time, next time it could be the court's uh, funding. And, and frankly, I think the courts will side with protecting a co-equal branch of government. We're pretty confident about that. 
Republicans also warned cutting off funding for the legislature could, among other serious things, hurt the state's bond rating. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says the money to pay for the new Senate office building comes out of the Senate's budget and if forced to operate on dwindling reserves. We will prioritize our staff over the building. Uh, I told the governor that, that it's more important for me that our staff, both Democratic, nonpartisan, and Republican, are taken care of. The governor responds he takes layoffs very seriously and Republican leaders can avoid them if they agree to repeal those several just-enacted tax breaks. If they want to continue the, these discussions and, and with a goal of achieving that, then I, w- I would welcome that, but that's... Uh, that's their, their decision to make, not, not mine. Gazelka responds. We know that of our budget, uh, roughly $32 million, about $8 million is for the building. And uh, we are not going to prioritize that over our staff. And so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I just wanted the governor to know that my people are more important than the building. And from there, we'll just have to decide how it is. But we're going to prioritize people first. Whether they evict us or not, I don't know. I mean, that that is an issue that we have to explore. I mean, we, but we're not going to jeopardize our staff over that building. Gazelka says without funding that the governor vetoed, the Senate could continue operating only a month or two unless they figure out another way to do it. Speaker Dowd says if funding ends July 1st, the House could probably operate at full capacity for at least two months, but then they would start to wind things down. This isn't a political game that just might affect a few politicians. Uh, This affects our employees, their families, and and ultimately could affect all Minnesotans um, if the legislative branch is, is grossly weakened by this action that the governor has taken, or if the bond rating of the state of Minnesota uh, is, is uh, jeopardized because of this, uh, this political action. We've seen what happened the previous decade when uh, the state did not have the fiscal uh, stability necessary to, to weather a recession, and I, I mean, the consequences of that were horrific. Scott, it remains to be seen how much of this summer of 2017 Governor Dayton and Republican leaders spend in closed-door negotiations or if they're in the courtroom instead. Thank you, Bill, for that report. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, the charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at StaplesForStudents.org. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. (sighs) We want to hire you. You're, You're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. 
young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. When it comes to child well-being, Minnesota ranks fourth in the nation. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Minnesota continues to invest in its children. The just-released Kids Count data book ranks Minnesota fourth in the nation for overall child well-being. Joining me now is Stephanie Hoganson with Children's Defense Fund Minnesota. Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit about the report in general? Yes, yeah, so Minnesota has always ranked high in this report that looks at 16 indicators of child well-being across four categories, so economic well-being, education, health, and family and community. Um, and Minnesota in the past several years has come out in the top five and actually in um, previous years has even ranked uh, number one. And so I think what the um, overall rank of number four shows is that our state has really committed to investing in children and families um, for um, the last several decades, but also um, in recent years, particularly as we are recovering from the recession. So we saw decreases in the number of children in poverty over the past year, the number of children whose parents lack secure employment, children living in high-poverty neighborhoods, and, of course, um, significant declines in children without health insurance. And that um, all of those, uh, those ones that I'm highlighting of the indicators were really driven um, in the right direction due to policies and programs that were invested in at the state, federal, and local levels. So the Affordable Care Act provided access to health insurance for a lot of our children, particularly lower-income children, through um, medical assistance, as well as uh, through outreach and enrollment efforts um, to get children insured. And now we have 3% of, of children are uninsured in our state, a historic low, and that drove our ranking to be number one in the health category across the country. Economic indicators, of course, were influenced by a, a, you know, a pretty uh, vi vibrant economy, as well as, you know, we increased the minimum wage, which affected a lot of families with children. We've uh, um, supported tax, state-based tax credits that support working families, as well as funded some early care uh, and education programs that support parents working and, and child development in uh, those programs. So um, it's policies and programs that drive these numbers in the right direction, but many of those programs, um, of course, particularly some health insurance programs and programs that support lower-income working families are at risk uh, at the federal level in particular. And so we have to stay the course because the numbers are showing that what we're doing is working. And uh, was there any, you know, we talked about a lot of these high rankings. Was there any areas that we need to work on a little bit? Yeah, and I, I would say, one, um, the data is overall child well-being. So it looks at aggregate um, data. So it doesn't break the data down by race and ethnicity. And when we do that um, across all of the indicators, with the exception of a handful like um, teens who abuse 
drugs and alcohol. Children of color actually have lower rates of using drugs and alcohol um, in most instances. Um, but basically all of the other indicators, particularly around education and economic well-being, we see some of the greatest disparities between white children and children of color and American Indian children in the country. And because we're seeing significant growth in populations of color across the state and child, the child population is driving that growth, we really need to start um, invest, targeting our investments um, to ensure children of color ha are accessing early childhood programs that are high quality um, and making those affordable for those families and easy to access through transportation services um, and other supports and then you know supporting after school and education um, activities that support their proficiency in math and reading and graduating on time um, and then just supporting the economic well-being of those communities where we see some of the greatest unemployment rates um, and disparities in access to employment and transportation to get to work um, among populations of color and so um, it while we have targeted investments to children and families, now is the time to take those investments and make sure that they're working for populations of color through engaging those communities in, in the discussion of uh, what's going to promote their success and access to opportunity. Well, lots of good information. Um, I know we're about out of time. Was there any other area or anything else you wanted to hit on that maybe I didn't bring up today? Not to put you on the spot. Sure. No, no. I mean, I think education indicators are where we could um, really focus a lot of our, our efforts. You know, we ranked ACE, still, you know, a pretty good ranking. But when you actually look at the data, um, we see more than half of young children are not in school, which is basically, you know, receiving some kind of uh, preschool programming um, to Two-thirds of fourth graders are not proficient in reading. Same for eighth graders in math. Um, and so we really need to target those indicators to make sure children um, are academically prepared for the future. We did see across the country and in Minnesota an increase in graduation rates, and some of that was in some uh, districts in particular across races and ethnicities. So that's a good direction to move in. Thanks again to my guest Stephanie Hokinson with Children's Defense Fund Minnesota. The full Kids Count report can be found on the Annie E. Casey Foundation's website at aecf.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Go Vikings, let's win this game. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen has come a long way in his time in the NFL. He first got a chance with Minnesota as an undrafted tryout player and has worked his way into a main role as one of the top pass catchers on the team. He signed a new contract this offseason. Thielen grew up in Detroit Lakes and played college football at Minnesota State Mankato. The Vikings completed their June minicamp this week, and MN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Thielen. What an offseason for you, right? I mean, uh, you've worked your way up from literally almost the bottom to signing a you know pretty lucrative deal. Take me through the emotions of, of that work and that accomplishment. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me to look really back at it right now because I got big full, big goals for myself and and this team. So, uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's obviously nice to have a little bit of security in this league. It's it's hard to come by, but uh, you know, I had like I said, I have big goals for myself and this team. So, I'm out here trying to get better and, and doing the things that got me here. You haven't had a chance though, maybe just to step back and say that. I mean, that's pretty impressive from where you started as a as a tryout guy to now, you know, a go to guy. Yeah, I think uh, when my career is done, I'll, I'll have time to do that and, and really look back at it and uh, think about the things that I've been able to do. But right now, it's like, hey, you know, I have a job to do. Um, you know, right when the offseason starts, I have I set goals for myself and uh, put a plan together with my trainer and, and making sure that I'm doing whatever it takes to, to become a better football player. Is there too some thought? It's always in football, right? If you have, if you do something well once, okay, go do it again, and you want to do that again this year, have another good season. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, you know taking it one day at a time. Uh, like I said before, making sure I'm getting uh, better each and every day, and uh, yeah, doing the things that that help me get to where I am, and then the things that I feel like I need to work on, making sure that those are a focus this offseason. Obviously, you have talent. There's no doubt. You have wheels, good hands. How many Adam Thielens do you think are out there that because they came from a small school or a small town? Maybe never showed up the way you did, just got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of guys that uh, were really, really good football players, um, maybe didn't have the size or um, athleticism, uh, but definitely really good football players that are out there that uh, just don't get opportunities. So I, I'm very fortunate and blessed to, to be given opportunities, and then when I uh, did get those opportunities, making the most of them. You've uh, gone and started now a, a physical fitness business. Take us through that a little bit, what, uh, what that's got going for you. Yeah, so ETS Elite, um, uh, partnered with a guy who's trained me the last five years, have a lot of faith and trust in his systems and, and uh, what he does. And uh, we got great people in place in, in our different locations. And it's just fun. It's fun to give back to the community. Um, I think it's definitely, I think the big reason why I wanted to do it is because it's something that I didn't have growing up. You know, it's, it's an opportunity for kids to come in and, and try to become the best athletes possible, not just a football player, basketball player, but, you know, volleyball, lacrosse. It doesn't really matter, you know, male or female. It's just coming on there, having fun, making sure that you're uh, doing the things you need to do to get better. What age groups are you trying to focus on with that? And um, what's the philosophy in terms of what you try to tell these young young people? Yeah, so we started about 11 or 12 years old and all the way through professional athletes. So I think a big thing is just learning the basics when they're that young, uh, learning the correct ways to run. And, you know, when, when they can do that and they can start that young, it's just such a, a leg up on, on the other people that they have to compete with in the future. I think it's just a good opportunity to get around their friends and, and compete and learn how to become a better athlete. How can people find info on that if, hey, I've got a son or a daughter that's a, a good athlete and uh, maybe could benefit from that? Yeah, ETSPerformance.com. Uh, and um, there's, uh, We have several different locations, and, and hopefully uh, we're just going to keep expanding. So, um, yeah, check, it out, check us out and um, give it a shot because, uh, like I said, I have a lot of faith and trust in, in, what, in what we're doing, and, and obviously I wouldn't put my name on something that I don't really believe in and, and don't uh, do myself couple of Minnesota-related questions for you here on Minnesota Matters. Adam Thielen is with us. 
What uh, what do you think you're upra- or being brought up in a smaller town, Detroit Lakes? How, how did that help shape you as a young man into what you have become now? Um, I think uh, just relationships. You know, uh, in a small town, you you get to know a lot of people. Um, you have a strong community, and uh, just uh, I think just I had so many people affect you know my life in, in a positive way, and so many great role models in, in that small town. So just blessed and fortunate to have the relationships that I have had, and and uh, been able to have those people in my life. And then you went to Minnesota State. Mankato had a great career there. Really good teams over those years. What what uh, how did that help shape you as well? Well, I had just some great coaches. I had some great teammates. Um, you know, every every kind of, every place I've been, I've I've kind of picked something up. Uh, from whether it be a coach, a player, uh, somebody in the community. And um, I think it's kind of helped shape me who I am. And, and I'm kind of trying to, to rub that off on, on these guys, you know, on these rookies and, and guys that are coming in here because um, I think uh, that's what it's all about, you know, sharing what, what has helped you get to where you are and, and trying to pick things from, you know, the veterans and trying to make, make sure that we have the best football team we possibly can create. Off the field, what do you like to do? What, do you, what are your hab- hobbies and passions? Well, I have a beautiful wife and son, so I uh, try to spend time with them. And um, if I'm not spending time with them, I'm on the golf course trying to uh, just relax and get my head out of head away from everything and just uh, play golf. I, I, enjoy, I really, really enjoy uh, getting on the golf course. How important is that sometimes just to get away from football for a minute and let the mind refresh with whatever it is you do? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, it's amazing what that can do for you. It's, like I said, I have a, a beautiful family at home that I love getting home to because it kind of just takes my mind away from everything. And um, I do my work here. I, I do all my film work, everything here. And when I get home, it's, it's all about my family. So um, I'm just blessed to have that. And um, they definitely help me just, just be the player I am because that's how I, you know, get my release. That's how I get, um, you know, my head cleared for the next day. Very good. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That's MN Sports Director Mike Grimm with Minnesota Viking Adam Thielen. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.